When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Folks, if you'd like a copy of my best-selling first book, Tales of a First Round Nothing, head on over to ecwpress.com. If you'd like a copy of my second book, Tales with TR, Fights, Film, and Folklore, head on over to www.flankerpress.com. If you'd like either copy personalized, just add a note. Thanks for listening to my podcast, and happy reading. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode 165B of Tales with TR. I'm your host, Terry Ryan. We're now up and running on YouTube, of course. Follow the Hockey Podcast Network, THPN, on YouTube. And follow along with Tales with TR and many other awesome podcasts. You'll be happy to know that I'm back with a guest this week. I apologize for last week, but I promised you a guest. I promised you a good guest. So let's get right into it. Ladies and gentlemen, my next guest was drafted in round two of the 1992 NHL entry draft, 43rd overall by the Pittsburgh Penguins. He'd go on to a 10-year pro career that saw stops in St. John's, Utah, Fredericton, Germany, Italy, and more. And now he's settled down in the port city of St. John, New Brunswick, where he once worked hard for the St. John Flames in the old Atlantic division of the AHL. He is a deadly D-man, a sharpshooter, a tough tiger, a great grizzly, a wizardly warrior, a fiery flame, a gnarly knight. We had beers at the pub when he played in the dub. He was always real witty when we were teammates in Tri-City. And folks, are you ready? We also played in Freddy. He likes cookies and cream and was on the national team. He's tough but nice and played for the ice. He was a leader to me, and that's why he wore the C. Folks, he was easy to please and never too fussy. Please welcome to the show my pal. It's Mark Hussey. How the hell are you doing, Huss? Not too bad, TR. I, uh, I think I should have had you as, as an agent. Uh, as I was going through, I'd still be playing. Hey, I saw 
Uh, definitely the good, the bad, and the ugly when it came to a lot of my favorite buddies and teammates, and you're one of them. And we went through some interesting times together, to say the least, which we will get into. And I'm not only talking about Fredericton. That little spell in Tri-Cities was a little uh, cup of adventurous junior hockey, might I say, at the least. Yeah, it definitely was. Uh, but here we go. You're here now, uh, Huss, and what are you doing, and are you still involved in the game? Uh, I'm, I'm a police officer uh, in St. John. You've been doing uh, that for a long time, right? Yeah, I'm into my 19th year. Okay. Uh, when I retired, I, I went uh, straight to the police academy over in uh, Prince Edward Island and uh, started here uh, right after the, the police academy. So it's been, it's been interesting, uh, to say the least, the, the transition from hockey to, uh, to police work, which is, was good for me and got me into something uh, right away and into a career uh, that I'm, I'm really enjoying. Uh, but it gave me the chance to settle down as well after uh, being an Air Force brat and traveling uh, all over Canada and uh, a bit of Europe. And then after, you know, you, you go through hockey, you, you know more than, than most yeah. what it's like. Uh, you know, guys are very lucky to be able to stay in one spot. That's not really the nature of the game. So you move around a lot. So when, when I retired, that was one of the things that I really wanted to do was to be able to uh, settle down and, and have a family and stay in one spot. Wow, you're Air Force too. I forgot that because not many Western leaguers are born in New Brunswick. That's right. And, uh, yeah. yeah. That's, you got that in common with one of my real good friends, Taran Samwith. His family's from over this way. He played a little bit, I guess, when you were in the league. I just missed him, but we played in St. John's together, as you know. Um, so, yeah, I never thought about that in your case. So you're Air Force, Brad, as you say, but you're all over. And then you're hockey. So you didn't get to, like, live in one little hometown until you were in your 30s. Exactly. Wow, and, I didn't think of it like that, Huss. And I, I think if you ask my father, we prob he probably took some postings based off where I got to play hockey. Wow. And, and, and some different things. I know his last posting was in Winnipeg. And uh, at that time, I remember him telling the story that at that time, the minor hockey system wasn't that great in Winnipeg. So I ended up going to Saskatchewan and going to Notre Dame for a couple of years before the Western League. Uh, but he, he really wanted to give me the best opportunity to, uh, to go play somewhere and, and develop. Huss, how about that when we were in the Western League and you just a little bit ahead of me? I've often said, my dad talks about, he's like, you know, Terry... I was 5'9", 170 in the, in the 70s, and it was like a lot of bench brawls and stuff. And, you know, by nature, I didn't get a lot of penalty minutes. So I was speed. And he's like, you know, then the Flyers won it. And then, like, it was just, it was a tough time because it was the toughest era. And I say to him, well, it was tough, but, the, like, the tough guys in your era were, were good players. Like, I'm not, before I get into, like, knocking everyone in our era, I'm just saying, Terry O'Reilly, I don't know, Stan Jonathan, Larry Robinson, even... The madman with the most, Dave the Hammer Schultz, he had 20 goals a couple of years. Like, these guys were tough, but they could play. And, and, and even the players that were, like, centering Team Canada, Bobby Clark, were just grit. But in our era, people started to get hired to fight once and be there just in case, because I'm going to clean your clock. I don't, I don't score many goals in whatever league I've ever been in, even in Bantam, but I'm going to come out and crush your face. And we're guys that by nature don't really think like that, but are good teammates, I guess you could say. I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but I found myself in that era going, you know, if, like, if I played now, I, I just wouldn't get in close to as many fights. A lot of people would probably, but, you know, we, we were more like defending and then just being a teammate, and we just fell into an era. 
because where I was going with that is you came in your first or second year in the dub. I'll never forget this because I was just drafted to the dub. They changed it whereby you didn't get 10-minute misconducts, but everybody or, or even any 10-minute penalty didn't go on your penalty minutes because too many people were trying to rack them up. But everywhere else they did. And so you were in the toughest era of the dub. Like, what was it like to come into that? Well, I, when I talk about the Western League to people, is, is people forget. Yeah, We didn't warm up at the same time as the other team. Yeah, we weren't uh, allowed to warm up when the other team was on, on the ice warming up. That's true. Us, that is true. Right, and, and that's, how, that's how crazy that league <laughs> was in that era. That, you know, like I, I remember the stories when, when I joined. It, you'd be like, oh, did you hear what happened in uh, Medicine Hat last night? Swift Current was in there, and you know, Swift Current always had their. We yeah. used to call them. They were always small, fast teams, and they had their one or two real tough guys. Yeah. Medicine Hat just had about fifteen guys that would would rank in the top yeah. fighters in the league, and they just went down and and took their net one night for warm up. Yeah. So Medicine Hat used two nets, and Swift Current just skated around. <laughs> uh, so you know, you know, some of those you don't know if they they're, they're just tales over the years, uh, but I I know that was one of the things that kind of kind of started yeah. the movement of okay, well we can't have the there's brawls every game like it you wouldn't go a game without having uh, a line brawl like yeah. it, it was just part of it and uh, you either took part in it or you got weeded out pretty quick. It's true. You got weeded out. That's the other thing. Like, I remember early on, part of my thinking, it's tough to really look back and really, really break it all down easily, like, into one little neat box, because it's not, there's so much that goes into it. But that was part of my thinking, going like, okay, this is the era that I'm playing in. Like, this is what happens. Like, I, I, I got to either join this skerfuffle, I, I got to figure it out myself and participate once in a while, or else, like you said, it's survival of the fittest. I want to be a hockey player, and this is part of what it takes. Now, I didn't realize when I was growing up shooting on the net in the driveway that fighting Frank the Animal by Lois, right, or, or Wade Belak or whoever it might be is going to be part of that puzzle. But now that I'm here, right, when in Rome, but it was a wild time. And you especially, you remind me of my buddy Sandman so much, Terence Sandwith, because you're big guys that wouldn't back, back down. But the, you're, you're, And me, a guy that's like in the middle, but like, would definitely retaliate. We are just big. The, the, the tough guys, their eyes would get big like beach balls because, you know, you get the game stats before the game, right? So someone to fight us, would be, oh, they knew we'd fight back and we'd give them a fight. I remember being in the A with you. I think it was Sean Gagnon who was openly, openly in the paper going for the penalty minute record. And I can't... <laughs> and we were on the bus and we thought for sure we were in Montreal. I remember Montreal had like... Three left wingers hurt and a bunch of D men. I am I right or wrong here? I remember this story. I wrote it all down somewhere at home. I haven't told it in a while. But I remember just being there on the deck eating at Weinstein and Gavino's, and we thought for sure, like we were high five, and Jose Theodore was with us. We were like, fuck, there's no way we're not going to start the year. And sure enough, I started the year. I played one shift and got sent down, one shift and fought Cam Russell and got sent down immediately. You didn't end up fucking playing at all. And within a month, we're down outside of Wooster or Syracuse or something, and I had to fight somebody, and I, come on, and I was coming out to like see, my, see to my eye which was just leaking all over but I couldn't play the next game because it was fully closed and they wouldn't let me and you just came off with your gear 
half it was on the floor, blood all over, and you're just like, I'm, I'm looking, I'm like, oh yeah, here we are. Thought we were going to be in the show, mustard on my shirt from the fucking subway sub on the bus. Do you remember that? In Springfield. It was in Springfield. Yeah, Barry Nightcar. Uh, oh, Jesus, yes, Barry and, and and we had to pick that group to get them in a line brawl with, like you and I. Yeah, uh, I think Boyd uh, Olson was in on it. Like yeah. guys like that. Like he was another guy. He won't back down, but Boyd yeah. shouldn't be fucking fighting Aaron Downey, you know, and shit like yeah. that. But it just happened. Oh man. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a different time. Like especially, I was telling this to a buddy the other night. We're having a beer, and who's asking about the American League? And I said, you realize. Like when I went in there, they had a 6D, three lines, plus one forward. Yeah. So that plus one forward was never an extra skilled guy. Never. It, no. it was literally a guy. I was just talking about how hard of a job uh, that, that job was for oh. guys. And, yeah. uh, and, and some of the guys, they talk about it openly now. And it's great that they do because on, on how hard that was on them mentally – Mentally, yeah. Uh, some of the substance abuse that they had to deal with, uh, just knowing that you had to get revved up for a four-second shift and a fight. I look, uh, uh, Huss, go, actually, keep going, keep going. Yeah, it, it just, when you when you think of the, the psychology that that does, because we, we all grow up wanting to play. Yeah. Uh, and that, that that's the toughest guy out there. That uh, those tough guys that you, we read about and talk about uh, back in the day, they grew up as that six, seven, eight year old loving the game of hockey and yeah, exactly. To play. They happen to be really good at at, at one thing, uh, and and some of them didn't really even get the opportunity to play. Uh, they just knew that they could come in and and fight. And of course, everybody's dream uh, when you grow up playing hockey, you want to play pro hockey. You want to keep moving on. And uh, so for those guys, they had to do it. But that was hard on them. Like, I see guys taking uh, different meds before games uh, just to get hyped up and, uh, like, uh, Sudafeds and, like, all that type of stuff. No, yeah, that was the least of it. I remember grabbing yeah. Vicodin. Like, they were just going, I'm going to grab a few Vicodin and just grabbing them. Yeah. Right? And then, of course, yeah, we look, it's funny when we played, I, I didn't really – talk about it that much i didn't really even think about it but you know i, I did i mean the, the mental part of it i did i didn't talk to many other people about it but looking and I, I don't even know why like obviously there was an anxiety to it i i used to go like first of all looking back on that hus i know i'm going off topic but i i, I really do believe the hockey season is too long those it takes a lot to get up in your body it, it mentally it's hard and you're going out there, and it's mentally hard because of the physical work that you're about to do, whether it be fighting or not, whether it's just going out and taking hits, right, or, or going out and blocking shots or whatever it is in front of X thousand amount of people, wherever league you're playing in. It takes a lot on the body and mind. I often go like now, like sometimes when there might be something that I have to do, right, I might look and go, okay, I got this, this, and this to do. God, it's going to be two or three days of some hard work make notes, whatever it is for the podcast, write a speech, whatever these things, which really, and then when I, when I get stressed, I think about it. I'm like, okay, now put yourself, it's November and you got three games in three nights and you're going into Philly for two Wooster. And then you're coming home against, uh, St. John's Leafs with bird dog and Gilly and all the, you know, for the next week's series. And like, when do we get a break? And I'm looking down going like, because 
you're like, you're right. When you grow up and you're playing hockey, those aren't the same thoughts. It's like, okay, this is a job and this is going to be hard. How am I going to deal with this? And I can totally see. I mean, for me, it was, and you, I think, I would be lying if I said a bottle of beer after a game didn't ease it. I, I wasn't consciously thinking that way. And luckily, we could draw that line. But I can easily see how guys slipped into the abyss. You know what I mean? Like, pretty big time. I, but for me, going out with the boys, and, you know, I was single most of the time, you know, maybe meeting a girl and taking her back to the hotel. I, I don't mean that in any, uh, what's the word, um, misogynistic kind of a way. It, it just kind of happened. It was an easy way for me. Beer or, or, or sex or hanging out with the boys or listening to music was just a, a little bit of an escape from the next night. I'm, I'm on the menu. We're playing Philly. By Lois is there. Van, or or uh, Steve McLaren. Belanger, Lassard, they're all there, and I'll probably end up going, so let's just take my mind off of that. So I don't know if you heard when I interviewed Brant Myers, but, I mean, he's the extreme. But I could understand everything he was saying because I had the same feelings. He just dealt with them a little bit different or more intense. Um, so your first NHL camp, you go second round. Pittsburgh fucking Penguins in the peak of it all with Lemieux just winning. Either he just won the cup and it was on the way to another one or it already won two, whatever it was, Jagger, the whole crowd, Kevin Stevens, Paul Coffey, I don't need to look at the list. They're one of the best teams ever. What was that like to be at your first camp? Uh, absolutely amazing, right? You're, you're in there, like the guys, Larry Murphy, Tom Brasso, uh, like the, the Hall of Famers, that 92 Penguins team. Uh, Jimmy Peck was there, my which God. I played played with a, a lot uh, later in my career. Isn't uh, that great when you get to play with these guys? That was my favorite of all of it, Huss, when you come in and you're like playing with guys that you looked up to? Anyway. Yeah, and yeah, it was just uh, really jaw-dropping. Uh, you know, for, for me as a young defenseman, uh, probably not the greatest organization for me to go to at that time, they, they had an older team pretty much set, not a whole lot of opportunity there. Uh, but for, for a young guy coming from the Western League that probably needed a little more structure, uh, I, I loved my years in Moose Jaw uh, when I was there. Who was your not, coach there? Uh, I had, well, unfortunately, we went through three coaches while I was there. We had okay. uh, Greg Quisley, Lauren Mulliken, uh You know, Mooner was great, but uh, Mike Babcock was there. And the last one, when I I really didn't want to be back there, and I got traded to Tri Cities, was Al Tour. Al Tour. Uh, so uh, just you know, a lot of guys that were kind of at the start of their career, figuring stuff out. Uh, where you you look at a team uh, back then, like a like Kamloops Blazers, where Don Hay is running probably the d best program in the country, uh, and and you, you can just go through the the amount of players that were there. Uh, so, dude, for, for, guys like Tyson, Tyson Nash was on their fourth line and played 400 games in the NHL. Brad yeah. Lukowicz was their extra D, two Stanley Cups. Yes. I say that, to, and, and for good reason they were there. And I don't mean yeah. that in a bad insult or anything. I looked up to Tyson Nash as a player, but on that team, that's why they were so good. I used to go, holy fuck, Tyson Nash is on the fourth fucking line. Like, what? You know, I'm not putting him down. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, that's how good they were. People, yes. three Memorial Cups in five years. Yes. Are you kidding? Four years. Anyway. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Just, and, and I, and I think, uh, like a place like Pittsburgh where, you know, you'd have Mario come in and, and do, you know, their fitness testing was like, okay, he'd come in and do 
one chin up and not 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 that everybody's basing what, what they can do compared to Mario, but you know, as a young guy coming in, uh, when when I went to other camps in different places later on in my career, uh, it was completely different. Uh, yeah. You know, and uh, Pittsburgh had all those uh, veterans that had played a long time in the league, uh, knew what to do when it came playoff time, and that's where they had their success from. It wasn't so much about bringing uh, these new new young guys in and developing them. No. Uh, and, which, they, and they had never really had to do that. On, on, on only the time when Lemieux was coming in. But when they, Lemieux came in, which would have been seven or eight years before that, from that time on, they never really had to build around any young guys, right? Those were the young guys that were now older and wrapped back then with no cap. I remember they would, they would rather trade for a Ron Francis or sign a free agent than bring up a young guy. Remember exactly. That much. I, and I know when I signed with Calgary, going to, going to uh, camp in Calgary was completely different because they used the, uh, the center of excellence uh, – in uh in calgary uh the hockey canada program so they were really above and beyond on all the off ice the testing uh that type of stuff where uh, they were really moving in that direction and you know that those were for for those young guys during that era uh you really wanted to be in those types of organizations that you knew the organization was going to take the time to develop you uh, to take the time to invest in you, and and really what you see of all organizations today, uh, you look at those draft picks are so important in this day and age uh, that they you have to spend time in, in developing, and it just was just a, a different era. It was it was a different era for a lot of reasons. Now, you know what's funny that not funny. Look, I I don't want to. Get in. We, we we don't have to get into it. Uh, we had a, we had a coach that, you know how Mike Babcock got called out a few years ago, um, and then who was it? Bob Hartley and we had a guy Michelle Terrian, and it was right in the middle of that. Like if 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 the if hockey was changing in some ways fundamentally, a lot of it was because of that coach's approach, and it's funny that we didn't talk about certain things more. Like I find now, you know, a lot of people talk about the mental, the anxiety. That goes with like we kind of just touched on it, but I mean that's that's part of that that was part of the game. I mean, I guess it's going to be right if you're a professional athlete, even even with no physical anything, you get there's pressure on you to go out in front of people and perform. Um, but it's funny that we didn't talk about it more because a lot of those coaches where I heard Mike Keenan, you know, and and I guess guys like Mike Keenan had a bit of success because I've often talked about here about my problems with Michelle Terrian. I really didn't like the guy. I, being now, and I don't know if I'm so much throwing him a bone here as I'm looking at my own inadequacies at the time as a player, I never really went in and sat down and said, come on, Michelle, you can't, you can't be serious with this. Like, can we work something out? Or, or look, you can get rid of me if you want. Let's be big boys here. Why do you smoke on the bus? Why are you calling me out in front of guys? Can we just get rid of this now? Maybe you don't like me. Maybe I don't like you. But can we figure... And I never really did that, you know? And, and it was just... It was this weird time where... And I would never... If Rajon Hul phoned me, I would never call him out. You know, it was a golden rule. Like, there's unwritten rules in hockey. Don't hit a guy when he's down defenseless. Don't fucking rat on your player or your coach or anything. Whereas 
now it's just looked at as communication. And there's a way to say, I fucking don't like that guy. Maybe I can say, look, Reggie, I don't work with him well. Maybe you can send me to the East Coast League. Maybe, maybe I can just develop there. Maybe there's more space on the power. Maybe there's something we can come to an arrangement, you know? And I never really did that. There was less communication. And I noticed that you coached in 2011 and 12, and you won a Memorial Cup, I believe, right? I didn't realize that much. I did not till I looked at this bio. It's the only thing I didn't realize. So did you take any of those mechanics or or not mechanics, but did you take any of that learned wisdom and use it into your own coaching? And I'm just assuming that you had guys like Terry and, you know, mine were hit and miss. I heard it about Bob Lauchs, but he ended up being pretty good. I could talk to him. But I just know that there were certain coaches that intimidated me that I didn't communicate with well, and I probably could have done better if I did. So how did that affect your coaching? It's funny because, you know, like I I coached a bit of midget hockey before I I coached with the Sea Dogs here. I saw that, yeah. And uh, and, and it really is a true passion of mine. I love uh, seeing guys develop and seeing what you're teaching them uh, and then they go out and execute. Uh, Now, let's talk about the other extreme is when I coached with the Sea Dogs, Gerard Glant was there as a head coach. Okay. And uh, it, it, we could only ever dream as players to have a coach like Gerard. Okay. Uh, good to hear. Hard, like hard. Uh, and when I say that his expectations are high, Yeah. Uh, but realistic and he understands effort and uh, effort and execution. So he, he really, showed uh, our players and really the rest of the coaching staff is on, on how guys should be treated. So obviously with honesty and respect, the biggest thing with, with those, you know, the, the bad cocks. And I, I had Mike as uh, in, in junior hockey and he was very young into his career, uh, but I was a captain for him. So I got to talk with him uh, quite yeah. a bit. I was an 18 year old uh, there uh, and you know, he re- he rescued Danny Cleary, a buddy of mine's career. I mean, there's yeah, there, there, I'm not necessarily putting these all these guys in a negative box. Babcock, if anybody, I've heard some good. Not to cut you off, I just wanted yeah. people listening yeah. to understand where because there's a lot to unpack with all that, right? Yes, and it, it just kind of kind of became the big topic of what went on in, in Toronto. Yeah. So, uh, and you know what, for guys to go through terrible experiences it, is awful because it, it obviously you see it's affected them. For their entire lives, right? And and to me, it comes back to the mind games. Uh, that's where a lot of these guys fail. They would do, and I've I've told you this, told you this before, is that I always I always felt like, and you know, it's not going to be very flattering to to Mike Turian, uh, but he'd you know like he'd sell a child for an exhibition win, right? Yeah. Like I just, I, to me, and look at there's. Yeah, you got to be hard. You got to expect the most out of guys, but like just being honest with them and letting them know where they, they stand. I, be honest. I, I, I feel like from outside now, because I'm I'm really on the outside looking looking at the game, and I keep up on it. I've got a, a son and friends that are they're so uh, invested in the game and watching it and learning all about it, and uh, I feel like it's moved that direction. Uh, that there, there is a lot more honesty. Guys know if they're going to go play on a team that they're going to be a top six forward or top, a bottom six forward. So they can just go out and focus on doing their job really well. That expectation yeah. uh, where they fit in is is a little better because, you know, 
I, I know me going through, I was a six four, six foot four, 225 pound guy uh, that fought a little bit. Uh, I thought I could play pretty well. And, but it was, it was never like, it was from year to year. Okay. You're going to be, when I was in St. John, I was one of our, you know, on the first two power plays. You were, you were, right? you were, you could go all over. Like you might be back as a stay at home guy all year, or you might get called on the power play in the 10th game and put up points. It, you were right. right in that, that, that precipice of one or the other. Right. But now when I was in Fredericton, it was more of, okay, well, you know, we had Ro- Roby Dobb, like we had yeah. uh, Francis Bouillon, like we had those different guys that were more offensive guys, but coming from what I was a little used to, now you're just going to be a straight defensive guy. Well, I was never really that guy. Like it was just like, okay, well, okay. So, you know, I'm going to stick up for my teammates. And we did a lot of that, especially with those those games against St. John's and, yeah. uh, you know, like DJ Smith and Bird Dog and Maxwell and yeah, yeah. Gilly. Norris. Like it, it, right. It, it was just every Sean night. It was just like, hey, which, which guy am I fighting once yeah. or twice tonight in this game? And it, it's just mm-hmm. the way it was, which, which was fine. But I just, it, it was just this keeping you on the cusp all the time of, well, you'll get called up if you do this. Then you didn't get called up. So you go in and say, okay, well, I did this. Okay, well, if it's because you're not doing this, you'll get called up. It's just like throwing this little bone out there all the time. And it's just like, okay, well, let's just be honest. And it was funny. I remember having a conversation with our trainers there. Yeah. And they were like, oh, well, we knew you weren't getting called up from the start of the year. <laughs> I know. I remember you telling me that. And, and oh, like, God, my well, face is hurting. I got a stick and I'm laughing so much. I got a cross stick or elbow yesterday playing. And honestly... I'm laughing here. So yeah. I do. I remember you coming out. We were like sitting somewhere on the road. I just vividly remember because with you and in, in my years in Freddie, which was two really, I got called up for the playoffs one year, but like my good friends there, like uh, Matt Higgins and Asham and yourself. And I, 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 I remember a lot happening in and around the rink because it was, it was, everybody was puzzled. Like you're saying the mind games, I think a lot of that, I don't even know if it's natural. To, I, I call him Mike, okay? People listening, Michelle Terry and I call him Mike. We all call him Mike back then. Um, like, a lot of it, I'm like, he can't be for real. Is he? I think he was, like, trying to be that. I mean, I'm not saying that this guy isn't or wasn't a jackass. I hope people evolve. He was a rookie coach as well. But I remember just sometimes we would go, like, what? Like, try to break down his cryptic messages. And I'm going, what is this? I'd rather someone be... Like, Laux was hard. Bob Laux, for those in junior, and a legendary coach in the Western League. He was real hard, but I knew exactly where I stood. And I knew that if I went out and worked hard, that he would give me all kinds of chances. Because above anything, he knows that I'm there to learn. So if I'm going to give him a big-time effort, the odds are that this horse is going to win the race. You know what I mean? So he was very honest and open. And now, fucking hard holy shit we would he would skate me more than anybody else so i like to be a joker in the room he'd call me out oh yeah you like to be a joker let's go back out we're gonna go up to 20 and back down to one uh, you know the wallies or whatever it was but it was always with a wink and a nod and whenever like it was time for a team party he'd call me aside here's an extra 500 bucks take the boys out you know um like there was always a level of honesty and you're on my team and we have the same goal but yes. with Tyrion. I couldn't figure any of it out. He was calling me a punk one day. Huss, he called me in. I don't, I don't know if I told you this because it was the year before you got there. But it was one of my first meetings 
with him. And fuck, he calls me in and I sit down. He sits me in this chair like 10 or 15 feet away. Like, and mine was like lower than his. It was all, everything was about, you know, the mental dominance. And he just opened his can of pop and sat behind his desk and lit up a cigarette and didn't say a word and just smoked it down to the butt and told me to get out of the room. Like, and I nearly spoke like 30 seconds a minute in and I thought about it. I'm like, no, fuck this. And I just sat there and looked at him and he looked at me and he smoked it all. Get the fuck out of my room. That was it. What does a kid do with that? I'm a first rounder. Like, what? I'm yeah. not saying you treat anybody like that. But can you imagine if even if I called the GM immediately and said, Reggie, this just happened, right? But it just, anyway, it just communication on every level. Or I could have said, Mike, what are you doing? Clearly there's a message you're trying to send me. Now, let's strip this down. What is it? You know, I didn't even do that, though. I could have, you know? Well, yes, he, he, he led with a fucking idiotic method, but I didn't respond in the mature way. Anyway, well, and, and I always found, like, us in those positions, we're willing to do anything to get to the NHL. Anything. Yeah, you tell me whatever, and, man. I'll do it. And so if he would have just came out and said, listen, mm. I need you to fight yeah. uh, five minutes in to the first period, five minutes into the second period, and on the first shift of the third period. And, and this is why. Guys that line up and do it. Yeah, guys like, that line up. And they, this they is why, be, because we need this spark, and look, you're the one to give it or whatever. I know it sounds barbaric, but I would Ray rather have heard that than, you know, and sometimes, Huss, he went one game. I was one of my first games that I had multiple points. I don't know, it was seven or eight games in. I didn't have a great start that year. And he called me in, said, good game, all this shit. And then the next game, he gave me my first shift with like 30 seconds left and, and grabbed my jersey. The, the one thing to get the tap, he said, go fight Jeff Ware. Like, like almost treating me like an animal. And I was like, Jesus. And I went and did it and came off. I'm going, I don't know where this guy is coming from. And it was always these cryptic, weird messages that if we had just spoken to each other, right, then it probably, like, what do you want me to do here, Mike? Because I ended up getting in 34 fights that year anyway. If right. you just fucking tell me ahead of time that you were, because be, people think, because I didn't go back to camp. It's kind of all fucking broken down. I didn't go back to camp, and then I ended up getting injured. But it was because I didn't like him. Like, it's not because I didn't get stats. I was the rookie of the year. I had 21 yeah. goals, 256 minutes. He could get it out of me. The, the methods were, like, barbaric, man. I hated it. Yeah. But, you know, he had a way about him, and he wasn't a bad coach. He was very organized. Like you said, he'd fucking sell his child to win an exhibition. So people like that are driven. If you harness that energy the right way, you're going to be dangerous. You know, I mean that in a good way, right? Yeah. You're going to be a great coach, which there was elements of it. But anyway. It, it, it just wears thin on guys. And you know what? <laughs> yeah. It just – and you've seen this over his career uh, mm -hmm. in the different places, and he's had some success now. Like, do I question having success in Pittsburgh with Sidney Crosby as your number one player? I'd say anybody yeah. going in there probably do that. It's probably not a fair comparison. <laughs> probably not. He, you know what? He he did he did some good stuff in Montreal with. He did, yeah. He, he, and he must know, have like grown that. up then, Huss. When he was doing that, I said, you know what? He's learned something because he couldn't pull the same shit, like smoking you, on the bus and stuff, right? You'd like to think. You'd like uh, to think. Right, but it, it it was more that type of ignorance uh, that that I just didn't have a whole lot of time for with him. It it it, it was the mind games and and just like even back in our day, like 
nobody smoked on a bus. No. I, when I say that, people are like, well, it was another era. I'm like, no, it wasn't. Nobody ever in the Western League. No. I remember the odd, like, real, real, you know, rebel David Brumby. I remember going in the bathroom and trying to light up a dart and fucking Lauxie kicked him off the bus, him and Aaron Bo <laughs> kicked him off in Spokane and said, get a cab back. You know, there was stories, but no one would be smoking on a bus, let yeah. alone the coach. Do you think he did that to send a message, or do you think he was really that entitled that he thought, you know what, I, I smoke, I'm going to smoke on the bus, and this, or yeah. was it like, you know what, fuck these guys, they're going to know that I can do whatever I want because there's a uh, slight difference. Yeah, I, I think he was just like, I'm the boss, I can do whatever he wants. <laughs> it, it is what he portrayed to me. If it, it yeah. it's funny, cause, even now we can't solve the puzzle. Even this many years later, we don't know. I don't. Well, I, I gave up, I think, in 1999 to figure out his puzzle because he just made me want to hate hockey. Like, I just hated hockey by the time I was done. That was it. it yeah, it, well, it was, it was after that same year, Huss, after that year we put in, I just called my agent and said, look, I don't know. I, I, I got every reason to want out and no real reason to want here. They're not playing me. I'm, I'm fighting a lot. There's two years in the, in the minors, and I've got fucking 60 or 70 fights in. It's not really what I signed up for. I'll do it. But, like, can I go somewhere and do this where I'm going to play in the NHL, not right. the AHL? Because yeah. I got all kinds of teams. Two years ago, I was drafted in eighth in the planet. Like, there must be somewhere for me to go. Yeah. I'm looking at Darcy Tucker and, I don't know, Matt Higgins and Jan Nemechek and fucking Eric Belanger and all these guys that played with us succeed on other teams. Anyway. What, well, it it's funny because I had a coach uh, in St. John here, Paul Baxter. Yeah, I remember that guy. Uh, and uh, and Baxter was a hard-nosed coach. Like, he was hard. And and you knew where you stood with him. Uh, you know, a little of the games once in a while. But I knew if he was if he was yelling at me, I knew I was playing well. Uh, because I was going out there every second shift. And, you know, we had uh, Todd Simpson, Joel Bouchard, Sammy Hellenius, J uh, Jamie Allison. Like, we yeah. had some good D. Uh, and and I was playing a ton for him. It's when he stopped yelling at you, you knew it's like, okay, there's, there's, something, there's something up. Uh, but I, I didn't realize how much he cared for the players till, uh, till when I got hired with the police force. So I, uh, I go in and uh, kind of the guy doing my background check, I've got to have a meeting with him. And he says to me, he says, uh, oh, yeah, I, I talked to one of your ex-coaches. And I, you know, I've gotten along with pretty much everyone who I played with in hockey, whether you had to fight them or, or, or what, you know, what the, the boys are like in hockey. And, and he says, well, I, I talked to Paul, Paul Baxter. And in my head, I thought, oh, my, like, what is you talk to this, all he did is yell at me for two straight years uh, when I was on the bench and didn't say a whole lot off the ice to anyone. So I thought, oh, this must have, I'm never going to get a job here. And, you know, this, uh, this sergeant at the time go, goes on to tell me, he said, Mark, the thing he told me about you is he said, I, you need to hire him right away. He's going to be a team player for you. He, go, he defends his teammates. He said all these uh, wonderful things and I'm wow. sitting there going oh wow like that's the impression I had he never ever said any of that stuff to me uh that's but wild I, I thought, yeah it, that's it nice. really it gave me some reflection of you know what these guys are just trying to do a job 
they're trying to get to the next level. They're trying to get their players to the next level, and, and they're going to do whatever they can to do that. They're going to do that. That's why I, I've said it. I hope that someday I come across Tyrion again. i got to think that he grew up a little bit. I want to be able to shake his hand and just, you know, tell a hockey story. I don't know if that'll happen, but... Because when I do look back on it, I remember a couple times, like, he would push my buttons, so I would push his. I remember coming in, like, with a blue mohawk. Like, but really... And, like, there was a Metallica concert. I think we were in Wooster, and I went outside to watch it somewhere. Came in at, like... And he would put a curfew on us, which we thought nuts. And I came in at, like, 11.01. And I just looked him in the... Like, I would always, like... And nothing got said. So he assumed... Terry's a fucking punk rocker. He's out doing acid or whatever he's doing. And, you know, and I never really talked about it. I'd do it just to spite him. He would do things to spite me. And if we just, it just turned into this big mind game that, oh, fuck, man. Look, I got to tell this. I know it's your interview, but right the year before you were there, me and we all get off. We would play about six to eight games a year. Well, you were there, so I don't remember, but I remember at least five times going in and playing in the Molson Center, the Habs AHL team. If we were going to play in Philly or something, they would work it, that we would play an afternoon game, maybe before the NHL game. I can't remember. I just remember playing in there a few times a year. So we were flying up to do so, and me and Linger got off the plane first, fairly first. There was a little bit of management or whatever that went up. And so we had a private plane so we it was only us on it so we we got off and in montreal anybody that's traveled there at least to the different terminals there's a place that you've got to go you know the 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 moving the pedway or whatever like and they're like almost like they're half a kilometer long man they're really long and then it goes up and then there's another really long one so me and linger would get right to the end and linger would put this into my mind that fuck and i would go oh yeah 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 we got to do that he goes well but no i'm not going to do it i'm like well fuck so we would get right to the end and stop the, just press stop so everybody else behind us had to walk. And I didn't think about it. Like, and so I got out on the bus. And then we, when we were sitting there and guys were filing in and they're like, and they just kept saying, like, they're pissed at you, they're pissed at you. And I'm like, why? And I didn't realize it was like people from the office, remember like Alana, remember and Darren McCready, it was all them. And Jacques Lemaire, who was up scouting, and Tarion himself. So I saw some management get off, but not all. Anyway, he just came off. He came onto the bus, and he said, guys, we have a situation. And he came right down, like one inch from my face, and he said, who did this? And he was looking right into my, who did this? And he was looking right into my eyes. I could smell the cigarettes off his mouth. Anyway, I said, I have no idea, but I'll let you know if I find, if I find anything out. <laughs> He went to the front and that same thing, like half a game with no ships. It was all that. It was these fucking crazy cryptic messages um, going back and forth. And some of it was just downright hilarious. The boys were getting a kick out of it, but we never, ever spoke like, right. like real people. Well, it, it's funny. Like you said earlier, uh, you mentioned on have, have I taken some, did I, when I coach with the Sea Dogs, did I take some of that stuff? One of the things, because I, I really focused on player development when I worked with uh, with those guys, and uh, it was about being honest and about what they did well and what they didn't do well. And I know the guys appreciated that because you know the guys appreciate that is when they start coming to you with things. 
about off ice things because they start to trust you. Yeah. Because trust. they realize that you're invested in how Great well word. they do. Yeah. Right. And, and that's the part that, uh, I know my experience with, uh, with Mike was that I just didn't feel that he was invested in, in me. I, I was just like kind of a filler, a 25 year old guy that would help, uh, possibly a couple of the younger guys, uh, to get to the next level. And, and which is fine. I, I just think you need to say it up front. Uh, or in turn, if somebody's willing to do that stuff for them, then if you know, if the, the team's out of the playoffs, uh, the yeah. NHL team, you, you fit them in a couple games. You fit them in. I mean, I, I really respect looking back people that did that, you know, and yeah. so many of our buddies, I don't know, Jason McDonald was at the end. He was like 31 and he was on his last NHL deal. I believe I think he played two more in the A and the Rangers called him up for one game. Right. And he got out there and like, I, I, to me, I really respect teams that do that because why not? Especially well, if you're out of the playoffs, why not? And, and especially for a guy trying to move up is that every one of those games is a bit of experience. Yeah. So now you get up to 25, 50 games. Now yeah. a lower level or a, a lower team rebuilding may be looking at, well, this guy's got some NHL experience now. Yeah. So we're, we're going to sign him. Right, he he may be our seventh guy. Well, now that seventh guy, you turn into a fifth guy there. Now you maybe go to a bit of a better team. Now you sign like it, it just it helps the the resume and it helps that process of evolution as a player. If you want to go into coaching or whatever, it helps. Yes, I know, I know. Um, yeah. And by the way, speaking of that, the beginning of that year that we talked about, I remember um, we were sitting there. I wasn't kidding. You really did nearly make Montreal, though, right? I, I think they brought in somebody. They signed somebody at the last minute. Am I wrong? You were it, there. It, I think it was Malakoff. I think it might have been Malakoff. Yeah, <laughs> you're not getting at him. In, in like yeah. when he was when he was like good enough to win the Norris every year, but he didn't try. But you right. knew he was going to play ahead of you. I, yeah. I think he was a real late signing because I remember us yeah. talking. I was like, well, geez. Like you know, you start going through. Like Brownie was there, was going to be up. Like you start, you start looking at the different guys and experience and where they were going to send guys. And you, and you thought, well, you know, I was into my fifth year in the American League. Yeah. So especially at the start of the year, and there was injuries. Like Kintal and a few more were injured that shoot yes. your way and are like kind of your style. That's yeah. why I remember it being. I, I remember sitting on that deck, deck, deck patio eating, thinking. I don't like thinking, okay, I'm going to get a few more games now because yeah. like Corson, a, f a few more were, were hurt and I forget, but they traded for someone in my situation. I didn't see that coming, but I was thinking in your case, I'm like, okay, because you were 25. We considered that old. Right. But I remember, okay, Huss is 25. You know what? He's going to get some games here. Huss yeah. is going to play the first well, part of the year. Kinger was running the D. Uh, yeah. I played, played a few exhibition games that year, you know, played really well. So played I really well. I remember watching. Yeah, I, I felt like I was in a good position uh, to be able to stay at the start. Anyway, you played a couple in the in the Molson Center. I yes. remember me and me and Ash. I think sticking around. We would often. Oh, sorry. Um, not every time, but you know, if our buddies were there, and I remember watching that. And of course, I knew you from Tri Cities. Yeah, I remember a few guys going, "Okay," like I really thought. You know yeah. that that's how close you are, right? It's a. It's so close. It, you're, you're standing there walking this tightrope and everything you wanted, all your dreams, and you're just right there. And the puck might come to you and you might float it through and hit someone's leg and go in the net. Yeah. Uh, three guys might get injured in that game and then you're there. And, you know, yeah. it's... 
it, it is funny because, you know, like I've had guys say to me in the past and just say, you know, like, could you have, would you trade everything to play a year? Or And you know what? Like now that I'm 49, yeah. I, I wouldn't change a thing. Back like, then you definitely would. 100%. Back then, a hundred out of a hundred. But now I know, looking back, it'd be like, okay, uh, yeah. Like I, I'd been after my year in Fredericton, I went to Europe for five years, and yeah. halfway through that, I uh, my agent at the time was talking to Dallas. Uh, Don Hay was actually uh, coaching in Utah. Yeah, that's and, why I went there my last camp. Right. So yeah. I, I, I was like, you know what? And just because I knew Hazer. Uh, from the Western League, and my father co- uh, scouted with uh, with Cam Loops, so he knew who, knew Don and Bob Brown very well uh, when we were there. So I knew I was going to get a fair shot. I knew yeah. I was going to get honesty. Uh, anyway, you know, long no, story. Huss, long. This is unbelievable. I did the same. So I could have gone anywhere, and I knew that Edmonton really, really liked me. But Dallas asked me to go, and... My dad played with Don Hay in the minors, and he coached in my division. All those years, Tri-City, yes. like, we took them once to six games, and I led the playoffs in scoring with Lanks, and we didn't make the final. He yeah. knew. So I scored against Kamloops. On a, you know what I mean? It's not like I had all my points. I'm not me, 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 but I'm just telling you why yeah. I chose it. I'm like, Don Hay saw me score against the best team, you know, a lot, and, and block yeah. shots, and there's one player that knows, one coach in all of hockey that knows me, that does, didn't coach me, it's Don Hay, and I know I'm going to be honest, or he's going, I'm going to get honesty. So I said, fuck it. I went to Dallas camp. I went to rookie camp, everything. I was doing real well. I never took care of my body so, so much. I went down like 7%. I fucking did everything. I didn't drink in the summertime. Water, bananas, whatever it is, man. Got a personal trainer. And Darian Hatcher, we're down in an inter-squad game. They're talking contract. And I said, look... Because I was holding out of Montreal. I didn't want to go back for that. Like A lot of people twisted it like it was for money. Not for money. I didn't deserve any more money. I didn't care about that. I'm like, I'm going to get a 15% raise on my first one just by nature of the agreement. You know, so whatever the fuck it was, I'm, I just want to play. I know that I can play. You know, you got to be confident as a player. But I, again, rookie of the year in the A, there's got to or my conference, there's got to be something here for me. All these teams are calling me. So I picked there and fucking we're in an inner squad game they're talking i said i'll take the minimum and i can't remember who it was bob goodenhouse called me i think the nhlpa guy and he just kept you, you can't keep saying that out loud because you can't take less money than you already got like you know you can't be saying that in front of all the players that want more so i was like but that's it i just take the minimum like you don't have to right. give me it and you know for one year and then after that wherever i am I, i'll work from there but i fucking didn't see it coming we were doing the, the horseshoe and I came into the corner and I slipped on a, a, Darian Hatcher slipped on a puck. It went under his skate and he went to push off and he fell on my ankle. And it was a high ankle sprain, man. And I was like, oh, Jesus. And I skated off, but I knew something was, took a year to even start getting better. I kept trying to play through it as you do, right? Scar tissue. Found myself in Boise, one of their affiliate teams, but it just never got better. But it's yeah. funny you say that. That's why I picked there because I'm like, yes. fucking right. This guy's going to be honest and I'm going to find out where, where I stand. Right. You know, we made the same fucking decision. I never realized. Yeah. I was 32 teams, I mean, or 30 then. So it's not a gimme that, you know, you would come across the same people. Yeah. We have similar minds. Um, so you go over. Uh, first thing I got to ask you about overseas, the Essen Mosquitoes, that was a team, the Mosquitoes. Yeah. 
I guess they must laugh at the ducks, but that doesn't sound very intimidating. You would have laughed the... at the car that they gave me. Oh, really? Where was it? Because it had a huge purple mosquito on the side of it. Really? Uh, I is, remember. Is Essen in Germany? It is. It's just outside of uh, Cologne. Uh, not okay, too far. Okay, I've been to Cologne and Dusseldorf. Yeah. A few times through ball hockey. Yeah, so I know the, that the, area. Two, the two years that I played there, I was in uh, Krefeld, which is uh, probably about half an hour from Dusseldorf, and uh, probably about an hour from Dusseldorf is Essen. Uh, I really liked it there. Yeah, yeah, uh, t- two good good spots to play. Uh, Krefeld was such a great experience uh, moving there. Doug Mason was the coach, uh, brought a completely different style to the game. Uh, I'd need about 10 hours to explain uh, all the different stuff that he did. It was a big learning curve uh, for everybody that was new on the team, but his, his system uh, was awesome. And, and I didn't realize hockey was the way it was in, in Germany. Uh, we, yeah. we had 10,000 fans every game. Like this is their, the, the DEL is their NHL, uh, almost like the NHL doesn't exist. And we had, uh, you know, Dan Lambert and uh, Christian Erhoff. Really? Uh, Phil von Stefanelli, uh, real, uh, Claudio Scrammen, real, real good. All, all D-man. Uh, great, great, uh, great place to play. Great family atmosphere. Uh, and the fans were absolutely, like, when, when you skate out on the ice and you're down a couple goals, and you'd see fans standing and cheering the entire period. Like, and you know, that, that soccer mentality where people are going bananas, you know, you could still smoke in buildings back then. Uh, so, you know, you had that, that little haze of dome over the ice and we knew coming out in the third period, we we're coming back to beat that team. What like, a laugh. Yeah, like it was absolutely crazy and, and incredible. After the games, would be a big meal for you. There'd be hundreds of people waiting for autographs. It was it was really out of this world and just something I didn't really expect when I went there. Now I've got a question to ask. I've always wondered this because I've never asked. I've never talked to anybody that actually played for London in this capacity. Played, talked to people that played in the British Elite League, but because okay, let's take Toronto. Toronto you would think in the CFL gets the most fans because it's Toronto and everywhere else is way, 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 way smaller. But they don't. They get, I think, the least or the second to the least because I think, you know, your local team, CFL football, is bigger in places like Regina, uh, Winnipeg, whatever you might have it, right? So is London in the British Elite League the like the, the place that you want to play or... Are places like Bracknell or Cardiff or places on the outskirts that are seem to have, in, at least in football or soccer, as we would call it, their own kind of fan base that takes off on its own? What, or, or is London, London, and it's just packed and it's the best place to play? Yeah, we, we had, uh, it was a bit of a mix uh, of both. Like we were kind of, we were down in the Docklands, uh, more on the east side of London, uh, some some games we'd have ten thousand people. Okay, some... that you, that answers it. I did. I didn't yeah. know if you ever had that many. So yeah. there are. If there's ever a ten thousand people, then it's fairly big. And and if there was a Canadian in town, they seemed to find their way to the game. Like we had uh, the Canadian Navy. Uh, we got to tour one of their ships, and a bunch of those guys came and came to a game. And I'd say like ninety percent of the team was all from uh, Canada or the U.S. So. 
uh, the big following there. And, and of course the guys that we had on our team, like we talk about tough teams in the American league. Like this was out of this world. Really? Like Darren Banks, Barry Nightcar, Bird Dog, uh, Andy oh. Bezo, uh, Chris McSorley was our coach. Uh, it was, you, you felt bad for the tall, lanky defenseman on Manchester when we went in there because he was getting picked on because Chris would be the first one to put all five of those guys out on the ice and wow. just say, don't come back to the bench without a piece of skin. And the boys wow. went out there and found it, right? It was it, it was something else. And uh, but Ooh, just, Darren Banks too. God. Yeah. Just a pile of great guys. Andy Bezo. <laughs> just but when it came to like we're playing in the championship game. Like this is to win the entire league, and Andy jumps into the other team's bench. Wow. And and starts a brawl. Right? Yeah, I heard he's like pretty much legendary over there. Yeah, we, and, you know, of course we ended up winning the game like seven three. Like it just wasn't even going to be interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so, you oh look at that! I didn't realize Sean Wansboro. I used to, I, I fought him a little bit in the West Coast. He was yeah. a shit disturber. I respected yeah. him a lot, but yeah. we went at it a few times out in the Western League. Yeah. Uh, or the Todd West Wetzel, Jeff Hode, like just Jeff Hode. I remember him from the Western League. Yeah. Yeah. Just. Good hard nose, uh, give, Ryan give Duffy. Every, yeah, give you everything out on the ice all the time, and uh, and and we had some good time. Like you know, like it was really good. We had a young team. Uh, most of the guys didn't have kids, uh, so it was all young couples. Uh, we got to hang out a lot. Completely different lifestyle, obviously, than North America. A lot of a lot of time spent at the pub, playing darts, and playing pool, and hanging out with the boys, which was. Coming from Fredericton, uh, and not not the guys because we always we always made it yeah. a good time whether we could or not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but coming I do from, have good memories in Freddie because yeah. of my teammates. Yeah, C- coming from Mike Terrian was uh, was sweet relief for me. Yeah, and 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 at the time, you know, coach like that brought us together. New customers download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use promo code THPN. Bet just $5 to score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's promo code THPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. In West Virginia, gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. All games regulated by the West Virginia Lottery. Please play responsibly in partnership with Hollywood Casino at Charlestown Races. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. Max bet $50. 10-plus leg required for 100% boost. Eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash baseball terms. 
Even if you're not going on vacation, summer's all about a vacation state of mind. Whether I'm checking out some of TR's music recommendations, throwing on my own summer playlist, or listening to other shows on my favorite hockey podcast network, I love creating my own summer soundtrack by popping in my Raycon wireless earbuds. There's so much going on all summer, sometimes you need some upbeat music to pump you up before you see people, or to stay calm with some guided meditation. I recently got to see Blink-182 in concert, and since then they've been my go-to summer listening. And let me tell you, Raycons are the best way to listen to some Blink-182. And here's why. You can use the earbud tap functions to toggle between three customizable sound profiles, including noise isolation and awareness mode. Better yet, Raycons have a 32-hour battery life, including 8 hours of playtime, so that you can listen to what you want, when you want, for a really long time. They come with custom gel tips for the most comfortable in-ear fit, and they start at half the price of other premium audio brands, and they sound just as good. And if that's still not enough for you, Raycons come with a 30-day happiness guarantee, so you really can't lose. Create your own soundtrack with Raycon. Right now, Tales with TR listeners can get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash THPN. That's buyraycon.com slash THPN to save 15% on Raycons. Buyraycon.com slash THPN. Italy, man, I'm looking at this. That must have been fun to play in Italy. It, it it was different. It was uh, it was the first time that I'd ever gone to a place uh, where the expectations were, were were just really put on the imports. And and I always laugh. And I was there with a great guy, Ian Fraser. And Ian Fraser, yeah, I remember that guy. Yeah, couldn't only, only like watching him. Yeah, couldn't couldn't have been a better guy to be uh, away with. I had uh, an apartment. His apartment was right above mine. Uh, but really the expectation was the, yeah. uh, the imports did everything. And I was literally playing 50, 50 minutes a night. And we oh, carried, nearly had a point of game, dude. We carried 70. I played 45 to 50 minutes a night. And there was another guy, Carlo Lorenzi. Yeah. He's 40, he's 49. He's still playing on that team. Wow. Uh, He's still today playing on that team. Wow! And and he probably pay, played thirty minutes a night. So the other the other few minutes were mixed between those uh, other other five guys, and we had uh, uh, had a coach from uh, Canada. And I, I just remember coming back to the bench, and he would he'd just look at me like, "What are you doing? Stay out there!" And I'd, I'd be like, "I can't breathe," and he'd be like, "Oh well." Stay up. Wow. So, but it, it, it was good fun. But there was the expectation. I always laughed after we'd win a game at home. And, and really, a lot of those places, that's what the expectation was. Just win your home games. Everybody's happy if you win your home games. And uh, so interesting. If, if we lost, the owners would come in the room and kind of stare at uh, Fraz and I and, and be like, just, you could just see the disappointment. But then when we'd win, it would be the team played so well. The team did. Yeah, and, yeah, know, yeah. Raz would be like, "I got two goals and four assists, and <laughs> us picked up a goal and three assists, and yeah. <laughs> and you know." But it's the team now. So anyway, it was we, it was always I was a good laugh, and uh, the guys were great there too. Like it was just such a great area of the world to be in. Did you use a wood stick the whole way through, or towards the end did you go with the one piece? Yeah, uh, towards the end, uh, I had for me one pieces came in like right before 
like I used it for a small little bit, but I was I still always had my woods around. So I think they came out in like 2000. But yeah, well, you, you know, just the way guys are superstitious. I never used a wood stick after Fredericton. Really, I remember getting wooden shearwood sticks with my, you know. Yeah. That's what I had in Freddie, the wooden shear. Name printed on it. You're all yeah, excited. All and I never touched the wood stick after my year in Freddie. I threw them all in the garbage. I was like, I'll never use a wood stick again. I'm sure it had nothing to do with how the season went. Uh, but, but I was like, not like I used the two piece uh, where you put the literally the Uwe, I had the Uwe crew blades uh, that you'd doctor up. And then after went over to went over to Europe, it was all one pieces. You know, it's funny, I, because I often look back, yeah, I was adamant too about the wood. And then, because I guess, like, when my career ender in injury, I guess that was in Dallas camp, but would have happened when I was 23, okay? So, but I, 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 it got better to, I think ball hockey might have strengthened it. I could run though fine, but I couldn't skate for a while. I remember being like the better part of two years, really without pretty intense pain. So the pain subsided and it was just made basically scar tissue. But I kept playing senior hockey right up until last year. And it's funny because by 23, I remember going like, oh, man, it's my third year pro. Like, I felt like such an accomplished. And then playing senior, I went to the one piece. And then I learned how to do the Michigan. Not that I'm ever going to do it, but it helps your hands a little bit. Because we would never do toe drags or anything. And then that became – and this. so I'm like, it's weird because even at 24, 25, I could feel myself improving. And I was like, I wonder what would have happened if I actually could do this with a good ankle in the NHL. Like, it would have been – because you're still learning. People don't realize that. But you're picking up stuff in your mid-20s. I'm talking about, like, guys in the NHL even that might completely change their approach, their game, their – you know, like Jamie Benn was playing junior A at 18. Then all of a sudden something happened – and he became a 30-goal scorer a few years later in the NHL. Yeah. It's wild how certain things, like, because you're so young. Think about when you went second round and you're talking about, you were going into a room full of not only Stanley Cup winners, half of them are Hall of Famers, and you knew that was going to happen. And you're 18 in front of the net going like, okay, Mario's coming down on you now. Like, it's like, what? Like, and I'm coming from Moose Yeah. And two years Prior to Moose Jaw, Wilcox, Saskatchewan. Yeah and, yeah. and you're going in a room and Kevin Stevens is talking to Joey Mullen and Mario Lemieux about how yeah. uh, he lost two grand a hole to Mario when they were playing golf. The it's morning. another planet. It, and, and this is back in the early 90s. Like it, it's, you just don't even comprehend it. It's right? another planet, dude. I was yeah. the same thing. I went into Montreal, of course, that year, like 94, 95. I'm, I'm drafted 95 in the summer. But I know that that year they um, didn't make the playoffs, I don't think. But two years before that, they won the cup. Like a lot of those guys, 93, it might have been a magical run, but they won the cup. And surrounding Montreal is always alumni. Every practice, I'd be like, and we wouldn't have the, now they get the glass behind you, but we wouldn't have that at the time. And I'm going, like, are you guys used to this? Like Guy Lafleur is right behind me, like commenting on my shift. Like fucking Rocket Richard was still alive and would go. Like, yeah. you know, it was so weird yeah. to have all these legends. And Pittsburgh's another one of those teams. Trans Samwit told me, like, when he first started going back to alumni events in Edmonton, like, you know, he played eight games in Edmonton. He's like, should I go? Because like, these are all – and I'm like, yeah, it's sure. weird, isn't it? Like, it's not like yeah. going to Columbus. 
you know, you're going to a place and you're right in the thick of it. You're in the yeah. middle of their Stanley Cups with a bunch of Hall of Famers. Yeah. Here, yeah, coming from Wilcox two years before. Yeah. yeah bonkers, it was, man. It's bonkers. It blew me away. Yeah, it, it really is unbelievable. And you think they're okay. Well, I'm going to come up here for a little taste and see what it's like and and then fly home and be able to share that experience with all the guys on the junior team, right? And you just listen yeah. to the stories. You, you really do pick up knowledge. I, I rem- and I remember being out there and people are like, are you nervous? I'm like, am I nervous? I remember I come off, like I acted like I had an injury because I didn't want to do one-timers anymore with Gila Fleur looking at me. I'm like, <laughs> I, had, well, I had to start thinking about it. I never had to think about shooting, ever. It just happened. Yeah. But now all of a sudden I'm like, I can feel the cameras. I can feel... Oh, there he is, Guy Lafleur, fucking Henri Richard over here. Yvonne Cormway is on the ice, beating me the pucks. I'm like, now I got to start thinking about it. I can't. This is freaking me the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was. I mean, you eventually get to get to that place, and all the guys on the ice were in your place a few years before that. Yeah. I just find it a weird dynamic, to say the least. That first little, because the NHL draft is so young. And they take people at camp, not like other sports. You might go first overall in another sport and not go to camp for two years, right? You might. In well, hockey, it's, it's like immediate. Yeah, and, and that's where I think they've done such a good job. Like, those are huge assets now. They yeah. do such a good job of protecting those assets. And each team, like, they, again, I'm saying it from the outside, it appears that they, they protect those assets and they really try to develop. And, and, and if it doesn't work out and... So they, then they move on from guys, right? But they're, they're at least given the opportunity. And I'm going to say that's one through all their draft picks. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, the other thing, Huss, there are things I like about our game and, and things that I love and I'm, I, I cherish about the time that we played. And without get, dissecting all the rules, I, I mean, there are things, but a lot of people, a lot of traditionalists, and, and maybe I'll put myself there as a traditionalist, but I'm definitely realized that everything is an evolution. And I say to people, like, in other words, I think the game's in a pretty good spot. Like, I don't think it's as bad as many traditionals would say. I mean, we are getting other fans. I mean, I get it. I, I like to have fights in the game, but last year there was 300. 300 fights still. Like, we're, you know, we're a long way from tennis here. And, you know, a lot of the things at least with communication with players, with billets. Billets is a great one. I mean, it used to be. Who cares? You're going to volunteer to be a billet? Sure, right? But now there's a, a venting process done. I think there's a lot good about the game. And I often say to people, in 1930, a penalty shot was a slap shot or whatever you wanted from the slot. In 1925, you couldn't go forward with the puck. Uh, you know, every 10 years... There's been a major, major change. Major. So when we talk tradition, what are we talking? 1950 to 1970 or 1970 to 1990? Like, it's usually whenever these people grew up and were like 10 to 20 and their favorite era in sports. But I, I do think, given all the ups and downs and struggles and hockey's still four of the four major sports, but I'm not even talking necessarily on a business level. Like if I was out there playing, put it this way, if I was playing now... I think I'd, I think I'd be comfortable a, a, as a player. I, I think certain things would be better. The preparation, like I don't even know what it's like to go in and play somewhere that I'm not. At least, what the word isn't fearful, but a major bit of anxiety because I know shit might get out of hand immediately. And even if it wasn't on your mind, it was kind of thing. You know, I think it'd be easier to play an away game in Prince Albert now than it was 20, 30 years ago. Don't you? 
<laughs> Most definitely. Yeah. Not, not a great place to roll into. No. Like, you're, by the way, the Western League back then was like two different leagues. Like, yeah, we had tough teams in Tri-City, but we're playing in the desert. Our rivals are like Seattle, 15,000 at a lot of games. Yeah. Portland always had 10,000 to see a, an American rival. Spokane, right? We're sheltered. We, are, we got Kamloops of the Canadian teams. Kamloops, Kelowna, right? Tacoma for first part of that. Or even Prince George was a long drive, but still had a really big rink. Like we, then you go over and you play like Moose Jaw, Swift Current. Prince Albert, you start realizing, wow, this is Canadian winter, like old school hockey, and there's a toughness that comes with that. It doesn't matter how big and how fucking strong our guys are. We're playing guys that are in Moose Jaw all year, which makes them tougher. And, and those were not fun rinks to go into. No. Like, they were cold. Yeah. Uh, they were it uninviting. Was, it was a long bus ride. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was... Yeah, it was definitely Remember, like, that feeling, getting off the bus, and it's dark out in the middle of the winter, and you can just feel the tension in the air? And, like, okay, like, part of me was always saying, okay, in five hours it's over. Five hours it's going to be over in five hours. I'm not saying I didn't give it all on the ice. Yes. When I get, usually by the drop of the puck, now I'm totally fine. It's a game. Yeah. I don't remember ever thinking those thoughts during the game. I swear to you, I, I, I yeah. think you probably are on the same level. Yeah. Once it started, it's like, hey, it might even be a bit of fun. But yeah. everything leading up to it was like, fuck, man, we, we're the show tonight. There's no way around this. It's scheduled. Yeah. I'm going out there, and, you know, i got to turn it on. Some and, days you don't want to, right? And, and in those places, you know, you'd have on a Tuesday night, you'd have 25 people, 2,500 people show up and fill that little barn, and that yeah. was the thing to do in that town, right? So, and that became the thing that was talked about till the next game. I'll t yeah, I'll tell you a good feeling. I'll tell you a good feeling. Is like rolling into one of those places and then sitting there and someone comes in before the game and you get the stats and everything. Back then, remember, they used to have the, the league stats every fucking game updated and they'd bring you in top five scores, top five penalty minutes, and then everybody's and the, both teams, all their stats and everything, and looking down and going, oh, like their top four tough guys aren't playing tonight. It was almost like, wow, like, fuck me. Like, I'm almost happy. Yeah. Post game beers now, like it's yeah. almost like the, you know what I mean. Uh, I'm looking for it, like it just everything started to turn rosy. I'm like, Fuck, these yeah. little things that make you happy. Oh, yeah. we're playing Philly, and who's out? Oh, Frank Bialos and Steve McLaren. Oh, that's news. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, whew, right? well, yeah, I know. It, there's just so many of those places you went to, and you know. It, and I don't know if the guys still do it now, but that stat sheet going around, like they could bring 10 of them and throw them on the table in the middle of the room and they would be gone within two seconds. Gone. Everybody wanted it. Yeah. Yeah. Like who's, I, I, like even the goalies are looking what their goalie stats are, looking who's gotten penalty minutes or, yeah. you know, where a guy standing point wise against them. And that's a, we didn't, have the internet. So that's how we got our That's how we did it. And the hockey yeah. news, man. I would get the yeah. hockey news every week. It's, I think it's why... It's like when a lot of people ask me about how do you know who sings that song? I'm like, I guess my head goes to like reading it on the back of a CD while I was in my truck. Yeah. And you do that enough and you just, it's not like a lot of it isn't like, I guess now used. You, you go to Spotify, you play it, it's there. It's like phone numbers I don't remember anymore, but I used to because I used to have to fucking remember it, you know? Yeah. Um, but what were we just talking about that second? It's, the stats? The stats. So... 
one thing before we get, I got going to finish with some rapid fire, easy layup questions, rapid fire yeah. randoms, I call them. But one thing that's not analytics. I often say now, when we're talking about tough guys who could be effective, I've said to people, there are guys that just because, and they used to get one shift, but I remember seeing Dave Morissette skate around and going like, this guy, if he hits people, is going to break their ribs, first of all. And he's a fast skater, built like, I mean, a brick shithouse. Uh, uh, you know, of course, and he's got that famous beat Bob Probert, knocked him down. I was in that game, man. It was crazy. We were called up. That was the game. I played that one, one shift that year. <laughs> or one game. Um, but... Guy, like, he could be effective if he's going to just skate around and really concentrate on hitting and forechecking. And there was a few like that. Wade Belak was kind of like that. I mean, he got drafted as a defenseman first round. Couldn't really play that role, but in the NHL became a decent checker. He wasn't just a one-game, one-shift fighter by the end of it. And Ryu, something that's... What I'm saying is that they didn't count hits back then, but I think if they did, guys like Dave Morissette would have proven to be a little bit more advantageous to the team than maybe looking back the era would, would suggest on Hockey DB. For you, I remember this clear. You were best in the two years I played. You might mention Roby Don, those guys, but the best at the breakout pass. You could all and, and it wasn't really kept back then as a stat. But now they'd have like zone entry, zone exit and all that. And for me as a winger, because like a lot of guys are just slapping around the boards, and I get that, but you'd always take that hit and then there's, like, when to pass it. If you wait that extra second, like, I love Stefan Robida, but he often would because he's offense, and he'd wait and he'd wait. Now he's going to give it to me, and if the guy on the fucking point sees that hesitation, he's going to come in and Scott Stevens me, and I'd rather it on the boards. So it was hard to get out of your own end back then. Yeah. Really was, like, for a lot of reasons. And I just really always appreciated that. You had a great breakout pass, and you knew when to make it. You weren't, you didn't ever wait and make that extra play. I'll give you the, that uh, well, thanks, Terry. I, it, it's funny. I used to, so we lived in Kamloops. They had a radar station uh, there. My dad was stationed. And the school that I went to, so the junior high school that I went to, was just up the street from uh, the old arena in Kamloops. Uh, and I would walk down the hill. Ken Hitchcock was the coach, and uh, Don Hay was his assistant coach at that time. And I would walk down the hill and watch them practice. They'd All practice right. in the afternoon every day, uh, and I'd walk down. And uh, Hazer would run the D, and uh, I got to go on the on the ice when I was, you know, fourteen, fifteen with Hazer. Uh, just being at different hockey schools that Camus Blazers have to, and and he was the one who taught me. Never, you don't don't rim the puck. Yeah. Okay. Make, I didn't realize this was part make, of your consciousness. It's really hard on the winger. I mean. Yeah. I guess it has to happen sometimes, yeah. but it's really hard. And some guys just did it just to do it, like just get it out off and my I, stick, right? Right, and I always remember, uh, like you, any of the guys that I coached with, any of the D-men that I coached with, with the uh, the Sea Dogs, it was all about putting that hard pass tape to tape. And when I was coaching the midget kids, it's explaining to them, you almost want to pass the puck hard enough to break the other player's stick. Because yeah. that gives them gives them time to make a play, and I and I don't know if it's true or not, but I remember hearing a story about Scotty Bowman on how he evaluates players, uh, and one of them was after uh, you make that pit pass, uh, what happens with the puck? So we all know we can give a pass to a guy; we call them suicide passes, right? Yeah. And then you blame that guy. 
for well i i gave him a good pass well if yeah. you knew a guy was coming down and forechecking that winger hard why would you give him the puck in a yes. bad position and uh it, it was one of his ways that i'd heard that that's how he stats turnover so really if i'm giving you a bad pass in a bad position that's really my turnover yeah uh, it's not your turnover good. but it may go down as a stat is your turnover yeah well when you get into analytics you really have to look at that stuff and, and break it down uh, but for me, rimming the puck was always a no-no. Like, take the extra step and make a good pass. And it makes your- so much of a di- to a winger more than anything because you're you're wearing that, and it's hard to make like as they say a hockey play when because the guy behind you, like let's just say I don't know, it's Dion Phaneuf, who liked to pinch down on the wall. If you just put it in my feet, it's tough, man. But like you said, I'd rather a rocket because. Even if I, I can just tip it out of the zone, if there's nothing there, I just tip my stick and I tip it out of the zone onto my centerman coming through or whatever. Or, I mean, I can tell when I got space or I get it immediately and, and start breaking out. But if you hesitate at all or you rim it, it's really hard on the winger. I'm, I'm surprised because I never said that to you and I'm surprised it was so consciously a part of your psyche when you're coaching because yeah. I, that's the one thing I noticed. Yeah, and, and, and really, uh, for, for me playing, it, it was just a no-no. Like, I'd rather get hit behind the net, get in a one-on-one battle, let our guys get back to defensive positions to be able to take that over, than, than give that bad pass to that winger, or, or you're getting run over. It is funny about how you said about the analytics. You're right. It does come up as that guy's turnover. Sure. I, often, I never thought about that one, but a lot of analytics are foggy, and that's... I'll, I'll keep that in mind. That is definitely one of them. The yeah. fucking guy who gets lit up for the turnover but, and, and the hit but had no time to react. And right. even just by taking the puck is being a fairly fucking good teammate because I know that I'm on the fucking trolley tracks, but I know i got to take this pass. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, on that story, on that note, we are going to do about 10 minutes of rapid-fire randoms. Are you ready? Sounds good. Here we go. Mark Hussey, rapid-fire randoms. You're on death row. Uh, for some reason, you're in St. John, someone rubbed you the wrong way, and uh, you basically took an axe and you chopped their head off. And now, no, you're in Texas. This happened in Texas. Now you're on death row. Whatever, you might have a good defense, but you are going to die tomorrow. Now, what are you choosing for your last meal? Oh, well, that's got to go with a nice, uh, I'm going to start off with a nice uh, Cabernet, uh, steak, uh, maybe some nice roasted potatoes with a... uh, Ah, nice side of asparagus. Okay, and that is good in any language and spoken true of someone that's traveled a lot all over the world. It's Uh, from your dinners that you used to buy us when we were in Hartford or Springfield or Rochester. I've I've got a few stories down there, but we'll save that for another time. Okay. Yeah, those were great, the team meals. I I, I used to live for those. Those were the most fun. Yeah. Putting all the credit cards into. Um. Who's your favorite band? Uh, geez, that's a good one because I'm my music's a little everywhere. Uh, right now, my my favorite guy would be uh, Morgan Wallen. Uh, but you know, like I'm I'm not adverse to the, to any kind of music. But I'd I'd have to go with that probably ACDC and oh, yeah, uh, and, and the hit still going. That was if that wasn't played in one of our locker rooms, like I know there was an awful lot of ACDC in the hip, yeah. and for good reason. Yeah, yeah, both bands have so many tunes for before the game. Yeah, um, 
superpower, you get one superpower, what would it be? Jeez, uh, that's a good one. I don't know if I'd make out well with a superpower. Okay. Uh, you could, you know what? You could say, fuck the superpower. I'm good enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, In other words, don't give me too much power. I get that. Yeah. You could yeah. be invisible. You could fly. You could, you could, you know what I think I'd like? Like maybe, could it be a superpower to live longer, like healthy? Yeah. I'd like to be well, like, eventually I'll be like 60. I'd like to stay 60 till I'm like 150. <laughs> I, I know uh, I for us, flying would be a good one because we love uh, we yeah. love traveling. We're moving into a different part of our life. We've got a 21-year-old, so we don't really have to be around the house, and I'm not involved in uh, uh, other sports and stuff and, and hockey stuff. So being right. able to fly instantly somewhere would be pretty good. Yeah, and I like, so not for the sensation of flying, but just for the convenience of travel. Exactly. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, who's? It's tough to say this, really, because it's subjective and it might change. But like, who's one of your favorite coaches or a coach that stands out? Uh, well, Gerard Glant would probably be my top. Uh, and I, and I guess I didn't have. I, I got to coach with them. That's uh, good to hear. That's good to hear, though. By the way. Yeah, like it's just that he's moved out of any spot. Uh, it is. Really, you can't get a better, for most importantly, you can't get a better guy. Uh, and and he knows his stuff. He, he is just absolutely awesome. Uh, the second guy for me would be a guy, Doug Mason, uh, coached in Europe, uh, originally from uh, northern Ontario, coached a little bit in the O, uh, but he, he's coached in Europe, in Switzerland, and Austria, and Germany, and the Netherlands, and uh, just absolutely amazing. His approach on the game uh, was just completely different than than I've ever seen. It's nice how you pick up these things, and it it helps you in real life too. Every every coach that I, well, every coach I've had, good or bad, really has some input on that. But the coaches that I remember, the things that I remember about them, help me as much off the ice. Like I don't really always remember what systems they told me, although they might have been great. But I remember how they treated me and then, you know, little things that I picked up about maybe how to be professional, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know what? The communication side of it, I, I use every day for work. Uh, yeah. I use it with the, the people on our on our tactical team. I use it with people that we deal with all the time. It, it really is. I attribute all that stuff back to hockey. Yeah. True. I, I mean, me too, really, if you sit down and think of it. Uh, okay, you're going on a trip, so you are lucky enough to be chosen um, you, you to do six months of astronaut training and then you're going to fly to Saturn's rings and explore one of Saturn's moons. It's going to take you six months to get there and six months back. Now, you've got to pick some people to go with you and you need to pick a chef, but this chef has to be someone that you played with. So who's going to cook the food for you on this long journey? So somebody I played with has got to cook for me? Yes. He's going to be your main chef. Oh, somebody. Uh, well, TR, I'm going to pick you. Uh, I don't know how great you are around the kitchen, but I, I, I know as Maritimers, 
we all end up in the kitchen and you're great at storytelling. So what, whether the food's going to be good or not, we're going to have a great time. Okay. Good answer. Yeah. I could get us around. I could make it. Yeah. I could make enough. It may be bland at times, but uh, yeah, I can find my way around the kitchen. Um, it'd be a lot of local stuff being local to me. Uh, a lot of fish and, and whatever. Yeah. But I mean, back then, I mean, we learned the basics, right? Like, I just remember in hockey most of the time for like until I left hockey, everything I knew how to cook was pasta and just like bake the chicken and then just put some pasta on. And there was enough guys that just it ended there. We weren't fucking figuring out like let's go in and make chicken cordon bleu and figure out it. or if the internet was there maybe. But I, I figured I used to go and get those like things of soup or whatever and on the like say you get mushroom soup and on the back it'd give you like a recipe for mushroom tetrazzini or something like that's where my cooking knowledge came from yeah. but at least it's something thank god for pre-game meals and post-game meals yeah exactly there. exactly um name me a unique rink that you played in uh in allegate italy uh was that was our home rink when i was in italy uh it, were people like chanting the whole game and beating drums i played a few games in italy in milan yeah and uh god so remember. It, it, if, uh, if you look up Allegate, it's in the middle of the Dolomites, uh, in the Dolomite mountain range, which okay. would, be, would be the equivalent of playing in Banff. Uh, but it was an open-air arena. So, uh, so like the northern bowl. part. It, it was a bowl, exactly. It, okay. it was a bowl uh, with a roof on it. But you could, as you skated around, you could see the, the crystal clear aqua lake and the, the mountains. Uh, really? All snow covered. And it, it was just, that's the way it was all year. We went over, uh, when I played in Cincinnati in the coast, trying to get my ankle better, our owners were Cuba Gooding Jr. and Phil Esposito. And we got there. They told us to be there a month early, and we got there. We, there, we were like, why? We figured it was like, I don't, I don't know, training or whatever it was. And we went over to Europe and played like six teams in the Austrian league and a couple in the Italian league. And one yeah. of the rinks like that, I don't know if you got there because it was in the Austrian League, but in Innsbruck, the whole end of the rink is uh, like a window and you're looking out at the mountains. I just loved it. If there's one thing that I regret about having to retire early, I guess I can't regret it because I got hurt. There's not, not really I could do about it, but it wasn't necessarily all NHL dreams. It was like, man, these guys, my buddies are traveling Europe for free. No, for free. They're getting paid to do it and live in these places that, you know, when I retire, it's going to cost me five grand just to go and spend the night in. You know, yeah. from Newfoundland. Anyway, I fucking love that you got there. You played a long time. You got to pick one player to make a, a three-pointer. There's $50,000 in the middle. What you or me gets it if one of our players. So I would pick somebody, let's say Steve McKenna, because he was like six foot seven, said he played basketball. So I'll pick him. Um, who are you going to pick to take a three-pointer? I'd, uh, I'd take Ian Frazier. Because uh, he, he could play with Eric Lindros, by the way. I knew yeah. I remembered that with the yes. Oshawa Generals. He had the softest hands. Uh, he no wonder they were good with him yeah. and Frazier. He, he would definitely sink that for sure. Um, one player to crush a job interview. It could be any job interview. But uh, you know, this person is not only articulate, but maybe a bit of a bullshitter, maybe too. Like could really find their way around a job interview and not embarrass. Yeah. Uh, Todd Simpson would be good for that. I played or with Todd that, as well. Actually, you, Todd Lushko. Okay, I only I met Lushko a couple times. Yeah, 
Lush would be, uh, he, he was always wheeling and dealing. Uh, and, and he, he, he was our go-to guy for, okay, what are we doing tonight? I heard that. Uh, okay, good. Where are we going to? He that I just heard all set up. Sorry. I, I just heard, uh, every time his name comes up, people go, oh, TR, you'd love this guy. It's a, people just say, oh, you'd love this guy. So I yeah. figured he was a good team fellow. Oh yeah. Yeah. Good dude. Um, who's an athlete you look up to outside of hockey? Uh, outside of hockey, like I, out of the, uh, out of the sports that I do watch that, you know, like overall I'm a big, uh, sports fan. Uh, as far as individual guys, there's lots of ball guys like I love just sitting back and relaxing and, and watching uh, a good ball game. I know. It's a great uh, way to relax. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's uh, the one guy in uh, Anaheim. Uh, right Otani? Yeah, Otani is just it, – it, it's a marvel to be able to watch. Like, amazing. I, I, I re- yeah, I really get drawn in uh, by those like uh, – Jokovic and oh uh, yeah. yeah like it's it just some some of those those top like even uh uh some of the golf guys now uh well they're just, they're, yeah they're, i know and golf is becoming even back in the day i used to watch it because i was bored and we would bet on like who was going to win the majors so i'd like be forced to watch some but i here's where i got to the point Maybe five years ago when I started appearing on podcasts and I really started to pay attention to more sport. I was the same thing with the NFL. I didn't really know what was going on. I didn't follow it week to week. Now I do. You know where I am? I like watching any sport. I like watching the best, sorry, from any sport because I'm intrigued by, like, just superior athleticism. Like, yeah. I, I'm not, even when I say, like, MLS, I will watch the odd game, but now that Messi's there, of course, but... It, it's not just because I'm starstruck by Messi. It's like, okay, this is the best, and now we're going to see him in the MLS, and we're going to, whether it, you know, it's not like I, I respect soccer. I don't watch it all the time, but it's like I don't even, I'm not even a big LeBron James fan. I like Jordan more, but James is playing in the playoffs. You know what? This is one of the best motherfuckers to ever play the game, yeah. and he's probably going to do something great or at least inspiring or intriguing, yeah. so why not tune in, right? Yeah. Even when Jordan played, I took that for granted that we're coming through this era with so many great players, you know, from yeah. Tiger Woods to Michael Phelps. Like, a lot of people in the last 20 or 30 years have been generational in a lot of sports. Now I think yeah. maybe it's to do with medicine and training and a lot of things, you know, and, and, and you got to look at things in relative terms. Babe Ruth, 60 home runs to number two who got nine. To me, that's that's. As big as, you know, Gretzky, more assists than the next person has points. Yeah. There's things that are crazy <laughs> that are never really going to get the true appreciation they deserve. But we've seen some unbelievable athletes. And if that yeah. means cricket, I'll watch it. Yeah. Um, you got to pick. You Now, for some reason, you've made a change. You're going to be a DJ. Uh, hypothetically, you have to take this job. You got to pick a name. Would it be? You got to pick one of these names. Huss Daddy Funk. Battleship Bob. Why Bob? I don't know, but Battleship Bob. Hussmaster Smash or Boomo, Boomer, Boomer Fuego? Oh, it's got to be Hussmaster Smash. 
Huss Master Smash. I like yeah. that too. Uh, name me three players. I don't want to use the word crazy, but a little off their rocker, like that you played with or against. Like Bird Dog might have a beer with you after the game. He might spare you in the eyeball. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's crazy, good. You know, I'm not necessarily crazy. And like, don't tell me anything that criminal or, or bad, or I know you won't anyway. Yeah. But for people listening, the word crazy can really be taken out of context. But I'm looking for that wild, like, almost never know what this guy's going to do. Well, Barry Nykar would be one of them. Okay, yeah. Uh, that would, you know, anybody that just looks up Nykar's his, his stats realizes yeah. uh, that he, he could lose it at any second on the ice. Yeah. Uh, Bird Dog would be one of them because you didn't know if you were sitting in the penalty box across from Bird Dog – and and I just mean across where there's just yeah. that the goal judge that's seventy five that's gonna break you guys up. He may throw a skate at you. I know that yeah. that's the way Bird Dog was. Don't look. I wouldn't look him in the eye when I was in the penalty box against him. Yeah, and, uh, and Andy Beza would be right up there too because yeah. you don't know if Beza would hit you from behind and you'd end up uh, just going to the hospital, right? Like right. it's just. There, there was genuine fear there uh, when those guys were on the ice. Three fantastic answers. What's your favorite time of day? Uh, I'm going to say uh, I, I'm a bit of a night owl. Uh, I, I wish I was a little more of a morning person. I don't know if it's the shift work that's kind of got me there. Uh, but the mornings that I do get off, if I'm uh, I've come off nights, uh, first thing in the morning, uh, six o'clock and many times I've come home after shift and it's the end of my rotation and it's six o'clock in the morning and it's a beautiful, beautiful morning out. I've got no problem going uh, back out on the, on the back deck and, and having a nice cold beer. Uh, you know, some people would look at that as maybe that's an issue at six o'clock in the morning, but it, it's nighttime for me. So I got no problem having Yeah. Cold time really, night. time is just really the context that you, yeah. You put it in. And, um, you know, for me, I, 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 there's two times a day. It's right in the morning like that. I really, really enjoy it. Um, no matter what, it's just, just being up with the birds. And, and, and I don't want to all the time. I like sleeping in. But whenever it happens, you know, lots of work or whatever I get up, I really enjoy that time of day. Usually I opt for more sleep, but I enjoy that time of day. The other time... It's like when it starts to get really late. Like if I have to be up, maybe it might be a night shoot or something, and I find myself, I get home and it's like 2 or 3 in the morning, but I find I have a completely clear head because I feel there's nothing going on at all, and I'm in my own little space. Whatever, no matter what I want to do, if I want to watch TV, if I want to make notes on maybe some idea that I have, whatever it is, I find I can get it done at that time. I feel productive, oddly enough, when I know most people aren't, you know? Yeah. Something about that. Um, give me three movies that stayed with you over time. Uh, Shawshank Redemption. It would be probably uh, my top, Unforgiven. Uh, oh, man, two fucking beauties. Yeah. They'd be up and, there for uh, me. And, and one that I always go back to uh, for whatever reason is uh, Bull Durham. Yeah. Great movie, I'm man. Huge, huge fan. Uh, I went back and watched it recently. I'm trying to do that. Like, you see all these movies, and I'm not one for watching something twice in a row. 
So usually, like, it got to kind of fall out of my memory a bit, and I thought I remembered all of Bull Durham. Yeah. But it's it's worth it for the mound visits alone, okay? Yeah. For that, for Costner and Robbins playing off each other, just the mound visits, yeah. and then you've got everything else. I forgot how funny Susan Sarandon's involvement in all that. It's really, really a good movie. It's as funny as it is good. Yeah. And I and, really and, recommend it to people. And and I love that. It, it's that, that miners, guy playing in the miners. You get it, don't you? Because yeah. we did it in the same fucking thing. Exactly. It's the same. I said yes. to people, I'm like... This, the other, I watched it like three months ago, Huss. Yeah. And um, I just had forgotten that everything they're doing is exactly what it felt like to like go into Lowell or Wooster and you yes. know, play in front of relatively the same amount of fans you're seeing right there, right? Yeah. Some of it's in the same areas. A lot of the cities they're going to were like, man, I've done that in the exact same, you know, across the yeah. street. There's the rig. <laughs> Hopping on a bus and just <laughs> yeah. going. Um, so... This will be your last question now because I could keep going, but I uh, really appreciate the time. All-time team. So you and I are sitting here. Hypothetically, you pick five players and a goalie, and so do I. Whoever wins this game is going to get the million-dollar prize in the middle. All these players are hypothetically in their prime. So you can pick five players from all time, but not Mario Lemieux, Wayne Gretzky, Bobby Orr, or Gordie Howe, who are rated the first four ever, or any Montreal Canadiens. So that would take out Rocket Richard, who would probably be next, arguably. I would put Crosby, but whatever. Um, and you don't necessarily have to pick for, you can pick for whatever. Maybe you have Bob Probert with Steve Eisenman. Or, you know, you, you can pick any, anything you want, just not those top four or any Montreal Canadiens. So... Uh... I'm probably going to pick a bunch of guys out of there on everybody's list. So take Connor McDavid. That's that, that's an easy. Sidney Crosby uh, is is an easy one for me. Uh, so you got one more forward. Yeah. Uh, if I switched over to uh, okay, so no Montreal Canadian. They've got all the good goalies over there. Yeah. You think of how many good goalies that they've had uh, well, through their system. A lot of people go to say War Dryden first, and yeah, they're out. Yeah, I'll take uh, I'll take Hasek. Uh, Great pick. Is an oldie. Lidstrom uh, is a D man, and Chelios. Okay, uh, nice pick with Lidstrom and Chelios. Yeah, uh, a little grit there, and I, I need uh, one more forward, and and a guy that I'm going to take in his prime because I want a bit of grit there is Iggy. Iggy. Yeah. You know what? McDavid, Crosby, and Iggy. Interesting. Yeah, that'd be. I love the Iggy pick. Now, the, the only questions that I just asked you that I ask everybody is the death row meal, the superpower, and this question. Yeah. And it's funny. Iggy was the MVP of the fucking league. Yeah. And one guy that really could tr play in any era. If there's yes. one player that I could say could play in any era ever. And, you know, we played Team eight, Under 18 together, Team Pacific. Um, I know him as, as like to play on his team a, a little bit, even though it was way back. I know what it's like to be his teammate, and that guy would eat the fucking boards to win. Yeah. And all the while, he's vicious, but the, he is respectful, and, you know, he's just like, I'm here to play hockey, and I to, really to respect me, that. I, I look at him, remember that fight in 2004, between yep. uh, him and, and Vinny, yeah, uh, fighting the playoffs, uh, 
two captains. Yeah, like like to me, that's where hockey should be striving to get to. Me too. Uh, it to me, it's that fight had to happen. Yeah. Right, and like taking it out of the game altogether, I think is a mistake because the guys that have ever played, when you talk to other athletes, there's no other sport that even allows it besides like mixed martial arts and that type of stuff. But, you know, like basketball, football, baseball, you you can't fight in those games. And all those athletes have a different respect for hockey players. Yeah. uh, Because you can't, because you can't. Right. So uh, they understand that uh, if something goes sideways, during a game, somebody's got to answer for it. Uh, th- there's that respect in hockey. And and to me, that just happened so naturally. Uh, it just had to happen. Uh, and it was one of those things where a lot of guys were uh, question, questioning Vinny, his, uh, him being able to take a team to the next level. Uh, and it just really showed the world of that. You know, he's a Hall of, Hall of Fame player. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Uh, but if hockey ends up at that point where it's that that hard nose, spontaneous fights that happen, I think it's going to be in a really good spot. Couldn't be said any better, and I fully agree. Uh, I'd love to keep you longer, but I have to go, and so do you, Huss. Thanks very yeah. much. I really appreciate it. This has been a long time coming. Do you have uh, anything else you want to add or promote before we go? No, just that it was uh, great talking to you. I was so happy to get your text that you're going to be in town, and uh, I know I know we'll hook up for a beer uh, at yeah, some point this well, week. And uh, uh, yeah, I'm playing tonight at six and eight, eight twenty, I think, and then I'll just shoot you a note. And the t- tonight's games will depend. It's quarterfinal, right? In both. Yeah, I'm in the thirty-four plus and the forty-five plus. Yeah. So, um, when I find out tonight, I'll let you know, and we'll go out for a nice bite to eat. And some uh, some beers and catch up and elaborate on all this stuff that I couldn't talk about on the air. Yeah, I'd love it. Okay, awesome. love you, buddy. Thanks again. Oh, okay, awesome talking to you. Awesome talking to you too. We'll see you soon. Okay, folks, that is my buddy Mark Hussey. Uh, thank you very much, Huss. I really appreciate that. Uh, one of my good friends, as you can tell, I came across Huss in. Uh, oh, where? In 93-94, Huss was traded to us from the Moose Jaw Warriors and played, uh, I guess, about 20 or 25 games in Tri-Cities with us, and I believe we moved him back to Medicine Hat. Check that on HockeyDB. But anyway, I got to know him a little bit in junior. And I I was 16, he was 19, so I really looked up to him. And then, like I said, a few years later, we ended up playing in Freddie and um, had a very similar experience but got to be uh, real good buddies. He really reminds me of Teran Samwith in a lot of ways. Uh, not only their size and the uh, fact that they're defensemen, but their career trajectory and I guess their place within my life as a friend. Anyway, very interesting guy. And uh, settled down here in St. John, New Brunswick. So I'm here once in a while, and I do see Huss here and there. It's been... Four years since I've been to St. John, and this would probably be the longest I've gone without seeing Huss. And even last time, actually, he uh, he brought me up to to speak at some, uh, I think it was raising money for, um, I can't remember, but it was the police in St. John, and they were raising money for a charitable cause. And uh, 
I'm always game for that sort of thing. Anyway. Anyway, I'm rambling. Point is, Huss is a great guy. He's an interesting person. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Um, for those that are interested in the ball hockey, this podcast will be coming out tonight. I probably would have played, uh, this is Thursday, tomorrow. If you're in the area, hopefully we're in the uh, next level, the semifinals. And uh, if not, I'll be down at the rink. And I love talking to fans and uh, shooting the shit about hockey. And we're getting close to the upcoming season. There's a lot happening or starting to happen. Uh, so, by all means, drop down. Check me out. Check us out. If you got some ideas, let me know, and I'll talk about it on the podcast. Folks, if you're in downtown St. John's, I've been telling you, you want to have a beer, you want to hang out, maybe you want a double rum and Coke, you want a bite to eat, you want to take a load off, all of the above, you go down, you go to Greensleeves. Great food, good fucking service, lots of great bartenders with drink choices, and of course some live music. That's Greensleeves Pub, right across the street, a place I used to run, no food, but some drinks, some great scenery, TJ's Pub. Hand in hand, TJ's Pub and Greensleeves Pub. Same owner, same great music a lot of the time. Different vibe, but uh, positive and fun and great workers. Now, of course, if I go down to the end of the street, where do I absolutely love to spend my time? It's at Trinity Pub, and Trinity Pub keeps getting better. Now they've got trivia on Mondays. Um, they've got a, a family market kind of family, a market kind of an idea on Sundays. They've got a great deck. They've got uh, no kitchen, but often have some good food down there to pick from. And uh, awesome live acts. You can even see some comedy there once in a while. My, uh, one of my oldest watering holes, uh, consistent ones anyway, is definitely the Trinity Pub. Check it out. Drop in and see the Mannings and whoever's playing. It's a great, great vibe, great bar. Now... Where else do I like to go on George Street, you might ask? Well, one of my oldest friends, Kevin English, has the Rob Roy and Confusion. They're attached, and uh, that's definitely one of the places that I have a lot of stories. Maybe I'll have Kevin on here one time, and we'll talk about it. Rob Roy Confusion. It's a great view for George Street Festival and everything that goes along with that or any live, anything that goes on, and uh, a lot of us hang out there. Where else? Martini Bar. Different vibe. Usually some great music, and uh, it's got a nice patio run by my buddy Pete Quinton. That's a great spot to go. If I was going to go anywhere else on George Street, I would probably stop into the Bull and Barrel. Also some old friends there, Tino Borges, who's run that place for a long time. It's where a lot of live music happens. It's probably the trendiest, quote-unquote, music bar in St. John's, being that a lot of the musicians hang out there. And if there's anybody on stage at the Bull and Barrel, it's usually a heavy hitter. Um, frequent guests include the LaDrew brothers, uh, brothers in stereo, uh, and uh, Mick Davis, of course, of the Novaks, and the like. And uh, anyway, it's, it's a great bar. If I'm going to get a bite to eat, uh, just check out the Merchant Tavern. Speaks for itself, Blue on Water, uh, both run by friends, but I've gone there for a long time, and they've lasted for a reason, because they're some of the best restaurants in St. John's, for lack of a better way to put it. And of course, if I'm going to go for lunch, I often go to Elizabeth Avenue. I go to Wedgwood Cafe. Peter Wedgwood, uh, also an old friend and 
Wedgwood Cafe has been around for a while now at the end of Elizabeth Avenue. It's a great little spot to have a dependable, fantastic meal. So I highly recommend going to Wedgwood Cafe. If I'm going to work out, if I was you guys and I lived in St. John's or close, I would go to Power Conditioning, Strength and Balance for the Body and Mind, run by Ryan Power and Power Conditioning on Ropewalk Lane. If you want to go to Mr. Lube, you want to see Chris Sparks, one of the best athletes this province has ever seen for many reasons, uh, go to Torbay Road or Kenmount Road, two locations, Mr. Lube, Live, Laugh, Lube. And, uh, of course, if you have aches and pains like I do, pitbullpainrelief.com will give you the path to Pitbull Pain Relief Sticks, which I use almost every day. Thanks to True Hockey for sponsoring me and all my hockey adventures. I love the twigs. I'm using two tonight. Hopefully I end up using only one. I did break one yesterday. Thanks to True. Take what's yours, True Hockey. Folks, I'll be back in just a few days with more Tales with TR, and I promise another great guest next week. I'll catch you all at the rebound.